own it, it's yours. There are positive, enormously positive effects of God's grace in our life. God's grace doesn't cause us to try to escape from life's problems or surrender to defeat and mood swings and feelings of rejection. No, the grace of God equips us with an ability to handle life, to own it. You know, uh, we, we go from being petitioners who walk around like beggars, oh, God, give me favor, give me favor, give me favor, to become owners, responsible, in charge, not a negative view of self or of the world, but we see ourselves as being linked in partnership, in co-ownership with God himself. See, there is a tendency in religion to make people feel inadequate, and it manifests itself in that people who feel inadequate, they always are looking for something else, a secret, a breakthrough, a, a something that, that's going to take them out of their have-not state of being. It's like a, and even worse, some people, they, they view themselves as victims, and they usually blame the devil, because you don't want to blame your mother-in-law. You blame the devil. You say, well, the devil stole my joy. The devil stole my money, uh, you, you know, and some even get into these uh, advanced techniques of trying to take back seven times what the devil stole and all that. I got news for you. The devil can't bring anything back to you because he has nothing. You're looking at it the wrong way. We even touched on it in our afternoon session last week, you know, that for centuries, millennia, the church fathers and the early believers, they had a very positive view on the future. They saw themselves as under Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and he just sits there till all his enemies are under his feet. And we are co-laborers in that great task to see to it that any enemies will become under the feet of Jesus. Nowadays, some Christians are like walking billboards for the Antichrist, coming up with ever more negative scenarios. I have a positive view of the future, your future. That should make you happy. And so we say that grace makes us owners. Let, let me break this down. First of all, God is the ultimate owner. He takes ownership. Genesis 14, 19, blessed be Abram of God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who live in it. Let's break it down. The earth, our planet, God says, I own it. Some of you want to fly away from it, but God says, I own it. Think about that. And it's fullness, meaning all the energy, all the resources, everything. We are created for God, and this planet is created for us to enjoy. And, and that, that's something to think about. You know, there's, there's two errors in my view here. One of them is a, a popular thought today, that, that the, a thought of lack. You know, as long as I can remember, I always heard that in 10 years or 12 years, we are running out. I remember, you know, sitting in my Swedish high school many, 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 many years ago. And they told us that by 1980, there would be no copper, no nickel, no nothing, no energy. We were running out. It's always down the line. That's kind of an insult. That's an insult to God who made this plan for us. On the other hand, there are some people who are abusive. They are not stewards of nature. Just, you know, bringing destruction. So in that sense, I'm green, but I'm not mean. I don't want, I don't want all those whales to have to swallow my plastic straws. I'm all for that. But, it, but I'm not in fear that somehow this earth is not going to be able to handle us because God hadn't planned the whole thing out. 
Okay, this is getting quiet because nobody is agreeing with me now. Uh, but, but God says it's all mine. The fullness of the earth and, and the world. And there's the word cosmos. Now, not, not the world system, the, the God of this age, but the space, planets, the universe, and all the people. God says, I own all the people. Everybody there. That's an amazing thing. Now, we are co-owners with God. Listen to this. Romans 8, 16. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba. Abba, which means Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Two words here. The first word is adoption. Now, put it on the screen there. Adoption brings an outsider into a place of belonging, of wealth and abundance and total supply. So I want to announce to you, if you ever looked at yourself as an outsider... I don't fit in. I'm a have-not person. You have received a spirit of adoption. You who didn't belong, you who didn't fit, you fit. You have been brought into a place where you belong, where you have supply and abundance and everything that you need. Praise God. And then the second word here is heirs. We are heirs. Heirs have ownership privileges. Now, once you know that you have ownership privileges, it's a different approach to life. You go from being just someone who is petitioning or looking for something to someone who says, I'm a part of this. This is my attitude in life. So I say I'm not looking for God to give me anything more. Because he has already given me everything in Jesus Christ. And I'm sure not looking for the devil to let anything go either. Because he's an absolute loser that owns nothing. No, I am a co-owner with God. and, and, And so what makes me understand that is the grace of God. The whole book of Galatians is about people who got distracted from God's grace. It says in Galatians 4, the heir... So we're speaking of this heir, this adopted one. As long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. May as well be a slave. Remember, slavery of religion is inferred here. Though he's a master of all, but he's under guardians and stewards, under rules, supervisors. But you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. So so you can be an heir on paper. You can own something on paper, but you're still a slave in practicality. And I'm afraid some Christians, they are like that. And which ones are they? Legalistic ones. That's what Galatians tells us. People who try to still, they they still live by, by rules rather than by the inward life. Now, sometimes we use the word legalistic so frequently, so we are quick to say, well, I'm not a legalist. So let me just help to give you some characteristics of a legalist. So you just know. For example, one characteristic is that the the legalist, as we've said already, is free in name only. They say, oh, oh, yeah, I'm free. But they're full of bondage and self-condemnation. A legalist person is very busy with record keeping. Record keeping, good and bad. Keep track of your sins and keep track of your progress. That's characteristic of religion. How good are you doing? And there's always plenty of more that you need to do. It's a a quid pro quo life. Quid pro quo simply means this. If you do this, then I will do this for you. So a legalistic life is a life of thinking, if I do this for God, God is going to do a quid pro quo for me. He's going to bless me back with such and such and do such and such. That is a legalistic life. What is the opposite 
It is not a life driven by record keeping, but driven by Christ. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, another characteristic of a, of a legalistic person is that they live in fear of hell. I, I've had preachers, heard them say, well, if I wasn't afraid of hell, I wouldn't go to church anymore. I said, what a sad, miserable preacher you must be. Uh, you see, because John tells us that if you are living in fear, if you're almost thinking, oh, I think I'm going to, you know, God's going to punish me, well, then you have not discovered God's love because there is no fear in the judgment. Why? Because we have discovered his love, and love has cast out every fear. And those who are still living in fear have not been completed in the love of God. You could say a legalistic person who has ownership only in name but not in practicality is a person who is always battling to improve their standing with God. It's like a lifelong battle. I want to kind of get up, you know, climb a couple of notches higher. I want to improve my standing with God. But you see, the gospel life is not that you improve your standing with God, but that you have good standing because of God's nature towards you, which he has proven by sending Jesus Christ that you might live by him. And, and so the idea here is the heir, the owner, doesn't enjoy it except by God's grace. I put it this way, ownership privileges are by God's grace. Though you could say, I, I, I know I have everything in Christ. But it's when you discover God's grace that it starts working. Now, another, just a, another little expression here, Romans 4.13. Again, it says that the promise of faith was that we would be the heir of the world. Now, I, I want to talk about how you see yourself. The world, the world here is cosmos. The, we, we are the heir of the world. We, we, we're not just... I said, I don't know, I'm a stranger in a pilgrim, just passing through. Well, you're a stranger and a pilgrim to the world system. The world system of religion that makes you inadequate, you are a stranger and a pilgrim to the have-not mentality of the world around you. But, but you're not a stranger and a pilgrim to cosmos to this world because you own it. You are a co-owner with God, but you are a stranger to weird ideas, worldly, even satanic, if you wish, ideas of God. You know, there's all kinds of strange ideas. You know, sometimes we think we know the Bible so well. And then once in a while something happens that we realize, you know what? I missed something. Has that ever happened to you? Now, you've heard me say sometimes that there's not a single scripture in the entire Bible that says directly that the devil is a thief. There isn't a single scripture that says that. You say, well, Peter, you're so smart. No, 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 no. I, I thought there was. And I had a friend many years ago, 25 years ago. In fact, I was on his board of directors. His name was John Evanzini. Some of you know who he was. Some, some of you, he's still alive. And, and we were sitting one night talking about that. We were talking about how we think we know the Bible. Maybe we were sitting in this little trailer after a service. And, and, and we talk about how, you know, we think we know the Bible. And, but, but then we don't really know it. And then he said to me, so I don't, you know, I'm going to never claim that I learned everything myself. Most things I learned from listening to somebody. I hope you're learning something from listening to me. Are you with me? Yes. He said, yeah, for example, you know, he said to me, there's no scripture in the whole Bible that refers directly, you could indirectly say it maybe, that the devil is a thief. And immediately, oh, well, well, Brother Evansini, don't you know John 10, 10? I mean, because I, I was so sure of myself, I didn't even need to open up the Bible and read it. I was sure it says, well, the, uh, Jesus came to give us life and give it more abundantly, but the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I mean, the, there you are. Did you forget that, brother? And he's like 25 years older than me, so usually I don't uh, rebuke elders. 
but now I'm becoming an elder myself, so don't rebuke, re- you know, watch what you do here, okay? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm reaping the harvest now. And, and so he said, well, you know, just go home and read it. So I went home that night. I went to John 10. I went John 9, 10, 11. I couldn't find the devil anywhere in the whole region of those John chapters. Are you still there? So I said, well, if it's not the devil, then who's the thief? Because the word thief is there, so it's got to be somebody. And then I, now don't start reading John 10 right now. Follow my sermon. Do it when you get home. Some of you say, well, I want to check up on this. It's just amazing how we are so sure we know everything. And of course, I found out that the only logical thief in John 10 is deceptive religion, false shepherds, Uh, deceptive ideas that arise, if you wish, if I use Paul's language, against the knowledge of the Lord. You know, even in Proverbs 6, there's a scripture verse that says, you know, if a thief has stolen, he shall return sevenfold. But that's not talking about the devil. That's talking about a bread thief. How ridiculous for Christians to say, devil restored to me back seven times. He doesn't even have one times of what you lost. And maybe what caused you to lose it was thieving ideas, deceptive thoughts. We could say, well, ultimately, I guess the devil is the deceiver, but it was really thoughts. It was things that that rose up because we didn't know I'm an owner. I'm a co-owner with God. Oh, I knew it on paper that I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I knew it on paper that I have received the spirit of adoption, but it never really sunk in. And so we, you know, it's like, you know, in the old Wild West, they blamed Jesse James for every train robbery. He did some, but he didn't do every train robbery. So, so what's the situation here? We have an deceptive intrusion of ideas that rise against the knowledge of God and that steal from you, that make you think that you are a have-not person, that you don't fit, that prosperity is not something you should look for, that God can't bless you, that you are disqualified. So what's God's plan? God's plan is that on this earth, God wants co-owners He wants co-owners in every country, in every nation. That's God's plan. I mean, look at Babylon. It was not a friendly place towards the God of Israel. So God sent one of his co-owners, Daniel. Daniel was put down. He was persecuted. He, there was prejudice against him. He wasn't allowed to do what the others had freedom to do. But instead of feeling sorry for himself, Daniel took that opportunity and he took over. He took over. Are you ready to take over your world instead of succumbing to it? Look, look at, there's so many different examples. Look at Joseph. He was badly treated. They lied against him. He had ever, oh, they're lying about me. What am I going to do? No, he had this attitude of being a co-owner and he rose up and he ends up becoming the prime minister of the land of Egypt. Are you with me? That's God's plan. We are his workmen. He sends us out on this planet that he loves and owns, but there is a world system of negativity that the God of this world has been able to spread by deception, and here we come. Just like Philip went to Samaria, a place full of witchcraft. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to a place full of witchcraft. Pray for me. No, he says, I'm going in there to proclaim another kingdom. I'm going there to proclaim another king, Jesus Christ. And he took over and persuaded the whole city. Paul did the same. You know, today when I look in the world, there are some places where the influence of God's co-workers is very small. Like in North Korea, for example. Now, we had a pastor here in Toronto who was a Korean pastor who was held captive there, suffered a lot, but he's been released, and we're glad for that. We prayed for his release. But, but it's kind of very small. The other countries, like 
Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Mauritania is the only country I know where they still practice basically slavery, selling people openly. And there's some gospel workers there, but very little. I just heard some very bad news out of China, how, how Christians are being persecuted in a new way in China just in the last few weeks. So that... Uh, uh, different government officials go into people's homes and if they have any depiction of Jesus or scripture verses, they tear them down and put up pictures of their leaders. And, and, and if there's Christian for somebody needs insulin or other medication, they, they are denied that unless they, instead of giving thanks to God, they give thanks to the Communist Party. You know, the, the, the areas in the world where, where the influencers, it's getting narrower and narrower. In other parts of the world, and, and I'm speaking now because I'm in Canada. I know all of you watching around the world. I'm in Toronto, Canada. And, but, but, but you apply it to your situation, whatever country you are in. You know, we have a lot of freedoms. But, but I tell you this about freedoms. I think I put it on, on my PowerPoint. Freedoms not used will be taken from us. And I must say to you, I'm a little bit concerned because it seems to me that sometimes us Christians in Canada or wherever part of the world you're watching, it could be United States or it could be Africa, it seems we're rather a timid bunch. We're not the ones saying we're taking charge. We own, we just, we just kind of laid back. It seems we are more interested in going to heaven than we are in bringing heaven to earth. It seems that's what church is about. It's about someday if I'm a good, good member, will you do my funeral, Pastor Nathan? Will you tell everybody I'm in heaven? Well, there's more to it than that. The gospel is about bringing heaven and everything heaven has to earth. And so I'm concerned because countries can change. I've heard negative reports from China. But I've heard positive reports from the nation of Sudan. North Sudan was almost impossible to reach, but, but there's a new government there now. We have to think about that. And they have changed. And so it can go either way. And so let's never think, oh, this is our country. Oh, everything will remain the same. No. I see some potential storm clouds on the horizon. And so I'm speaking to you members of the Toronto Celebration Church, those of you in our World Impact Celebration Church online and many friends and partners, that we are not laid back. We are not just saying, que sera, sera. We are co-owners with God himself. And we say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it, the world and all the people in it. And so we are doing things. For example, I can give you my own testimony. You know some of the things we have done since this lockdown started. Now we are stepping it up. So I thought by now, because I'm an optimist by nature, ask my wife, she thinks I'm too optimistic sometimes. I always think that whatever trouble there is, it'll be gone in two days. But you know, I've learned that uh, it didn't go away as quickly. Are you still there? So oh, what are we gonna do, what are we gonna do? Well, one thing I, th I got thinking, you know, there's something I wanted to do my whole life. I'm going to do it now. And I began to study the language groups. So instead of going and renting stadiums, I'm going to do more campaigns right from here, early in the morning when you're still sleeping because there's different time zones. So I'm going I'm to do a big campaign. It may cost tens of thousands of dollars to reach the Hindi-speaking world. That's about half a billion people speak Hindi in Nepal and those countries. And I'm going to promote it just like we did it, like we put up billboards all over cities in, in Asia or whatever. We're going to promote it, but we do it on social media. We have a full-fledged campaign, plus then all my best sermons that have touched nations, they'll be recorded in Hindi. Then when we've done that, we'll do Urdu. A lot of Muslims speak Urdu in Pakistan. Then we'll do Chinese. Oh, that's a big world. Then we'll do Tamil, and then we'll do Arabic. I like to do it in Arabic. Wouldn't that be something? We're doing things in the Hebrew language already. Maybe we'll do one there. Yes, I said, this, 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 is, this is even bigger than getting on an airplane, traveling, and renting a stadium. We, we could, you, you got to, you say, well, we got to wait till things are right. Things are always right 
if we have the right way of thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking, what can we do for our, for our Bible school campuses? Another thought that's really come over me was that uh, I want to help everybody within the sound of my voice to prosper. Prosper. It's made me think that money is changing hands like, like, like there's no tomorrow. Uh, people are losing it and gaining it and losing it and gaining it. Uh, God wants to help us. Hallelujah. And then I'm thinking about there's so many uncharted waters we are in. I want us to be the lead in using our freedoms. Let me get back to that in a moment, but let me go to my next point, and then I'll maybe touch on that again. Prosperity establishes our co-ownership with God. Now, I, I know some people don't, can stand when we use the word prosperity. They think it's an ungodly word. And some of them who think that the word prosperity is ungodly are quite prosperous themselves. They just don't want others to enjoy what they have enjoyed. But I have never been into the excessive selfish spending of money. But I'm going to be into what I've been into since I was in my early 20s, and that is that money is a tool to accomplish God's purposes. And so here it says in Deuteronomy 8.18, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, that we might be co-owners with him. So, so wealth is a sign you're working with God. And it doesn't say that God's going to give you wealth. Forget that. It doesn't say God's going to give you wealth. It says he gives you the power to get wealth. So we got to think accordingly. Don't think, oh, oh, God, God, can you fill my trunk? Can you just, oh, God, just make it happen. Move some money into my account. I don't know how it came from. You know, there's maybe some of those uh, drug dealers that had something they didn't even know they had. Send it in. That's not how God works. God is not a magician. He doesn't, now it could happen in a drastic situation like God fed Elijah, but it's not God's modus operandi. He gives you the power to think. He gives you the talent. Everybody say, I have a talent. But we got to think like we do. We, he said, you, I made you my co-owner. You're, I've adopted you into my family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're adopted in. You're a co-owner. Behave like it. Don't walk around like a beggar. Oh, God, give me favor. What, what do you, I only gave you that. Stop that. Stop that yapping and talking about that. You have it. So you approach life differently. Hallelujah. I mean, we only have about 90 minutes a week to influence you. Pastor Nathan and I do the best we can. And you spend 35 hours on social media, but you know, so, so give me a shot and pay attention right now. I'm saying let's get the stinking thinking right and get the stink out of the think and start seeing ourselves. I'm a co-owner with God. This is who I am. Now, now look at this. In the very first chapter of the Bible, God created man in his own image. God is the possessor of heaven and earth. We're created like God. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice, this happened before they sinned. So it's not like, oh, now we have to, we have to step up to the plate and you, you know, take ownership. Because after all, the world fell in sin. No, this is before. Before Adam and Eve did their thing, God's original plan was that we would be co-managers, co-owners together with God. I mean, that, that's Job is one of the oldest people in the Bible. So he lost everything. He lost everything. Everybody turned against him. But he must have had this attitude. And he said, poor me. I lost everything. I was sick. No, he, he, he got up. And he still recognized 
after he hadn't recognized that in the beginning, but at the end of the book of Job, he recognized God is a good God. I thought God caused all my problem. I thought God was the one who wanted me to suffer and, and lose everything and have big boils all over my body, but my God is a good God. And he says, I haven't even, I had heard of God by the hearing of the ear. I'd heard rumors, but now I see him and he's a good God. And he got twice as much. That was his attitude. You know, Isaac, he says, oh, we are in a famine. What am I going to do? I don't know. I shouldn't do anything. Shouldn't we be sowing this year? What do you think, Mrs. Isaac? I don't know. Let's pray about it. I'm not sure. No. He says, this is my world. I own it. I'm in a famine, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm in a famine, I own it. I'm here. I'm not going somewhere else. I'm going to plant a seed right here. Let me see. You know, look, look at King David. I mean, he, he took ownership of the fields outside the town of Bethlehem. He says, if there's a bear coming here, I own you, bear. If there's a wolf and a lion, you're mine. Come on. He learned, with my God, I can conquer. Then he was anointed to be king, but not much happened. So he, he was just in a little area called Hebron. He had a few people that were a little bit crazy, some of them probably. But he said, this is my world right now. I'm surrounded by some really losers I have hanging around with me. They are, in, they are just people who have failed in life. But thank God, this is the world I have. I own it. And after a while, he got all of Judea. And after a while, he got Jerusalem. And after a while, he had a world empire because he had an attitude of ownership. Paul had that when he approached the world. You turn to your neighbor and says, own it. It's yours. You know, Abraham is another example of this attitude. I mean, I love this verse. Isaiah 51. Listen, you who follow after righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. We wouldn't say like that. We would say, look at the stone from which you crawled out under. You remember the, where you were there under a pile of rocks and you crawled out? Look at your neighbor and says, do you remember that? Remember that pit you came from? Remember that? There wasn't much to you at that time, but then he says... Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone. He was all by himself. I don't have anybody, Lord. I'm all by myself. He says, well, I have God. And God says, I blessed him and increased him. You know, that's really Abraham's life. He starts in the pit. He starts under some rock, <laughs> you know, not much. And then he starts to walk with God, and then he messes up. But then he just runs back to God, and then, then he fails, and then he has unbelief. But then he runs back to God, and he increases some more. And then after he increases some more, he, he messed up a little bit again, and he failed, and he doubted, and he did this. Does that sound like anybody in this room? But every time, rather than feeling sorry for himself, he ran back to God and says, look at Abraham. Now he's become the example for the entire church of a blessed man. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, some people say, well, I don't like when you talk about prosperity. You know, God didn't promise us a rose garden. He didn't promise us a red carpet rolled out. I tell you, God didn't say everything is going to be easy. Well, I totally agree with that. But that's not what I'm talking about. Because what would be the great thing then? If everything was so easy, you were just kind of born with a silver spoon or a golden spoon, it wouldn't be such a testimony, would it be? The point is that Jesus says you will have 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold with persecution. You were almost ready to shout yes when I said a hundredfold, and then I, I wanted to finish the worst with persecution. He said, well, I didn't want to include that part. I never said it was going to be easy. We don't preach some, some gospel. Oh, just believe in Jesus. You'll not have any problems. No, you will have opposition. And in fact, the more you experience God's blessing, people will look at you and say, well, you don't deserve it. Why is God blessing you? It can't be God. It must be something else. 
They always try to find some way to put you down. But the great thing is, even though you crawled out from under a rock, you had God with you, and you're going all the way. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Now, now, we are managing co-workers with God, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift. Did you hear that? You have a special gift. Just so it sinks in. Say, I have a special gift. So don't think that somebody else is gifted, that I'm preaching to somebody else. I'm preaching to you. You have a gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So whatever gift you have, it's God's grace that comes in many forms. Maybe you, you can work in one area that others can't, and then there's an area where you're not so good, but others are better. But God has given you something. You own something. Stop seeing yourself as, oh, I don't have anything. And you think that sounds humble. Now, without Christ, we are lost in this world. But you have something. You have Christ. And, and you are now a steward. We are stewards of this special gift. So, so own it. Let, let me give you some areas of ownership. Own what God has provided. See what God's grace has provided for you. Psalm 2.8 says, Ask me and I'll give you the ends of the earth for your possession. Daniel 11:32. I love this verse my whole life. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Who's going to do the exploits? The people. Some of you say, well, well, God's going to do the exploits. No, no, no. The people that do know their God shall do exploits. Why is that? Because God blesses the work of your hands not the idleness of your hands. So she so said, well, what's the advantage? If you're saying that I should get up there and take ownership, the advantage is this, that you have God as your helper. You have the Holy Spirit to give you strength. You have an advantage in life, and God says, I will bless the work of your hands. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, own it. Then it, it says, own your soul. This, this could be a whole teaching series. Luke 21, 19, by your patience, one translation says endurance, possess your souls. It's getting quiet here now. Our soul, that's our mind and will, our emotion. Own it. I can't help myself. Own it. Possess your soul. You know, it's like this. If you compare it with a ship, let's say we have a ship that's going from Halifax, which is our port city on the Atlantic here in Canada, and it's going to London, England. Now you have that ship, you turn the hull of the ship in the right direction. There is a captain on the ship. So in this illustration, the hull of the ship is your body, if you wish. And the captain is your spirit. But your soul is the shipmates, the crew. Shipmate number one, your imagination. Shipmate number two, your emotions. Shipmate number three, our self-will. And so the captain, your spirit says that the owner of the ship, which is God in your situation now, he says, we're going to London, England. And the hull of the boat is turned, of the ship is going in that one direction. The captain have said, we're going. You see, that's how your spirit reacts. Your spirit man is saying, preach it, Peter. This is a good message. I am not a beggar. I'm not a petitioner. I'm a joint heir with Christ. Oh, I've been adopted into the family. Your spirit is saying, the captain of your life, so to speak, your spirit man is saying, preach it. But then you have an emotion. You have all the crew on the ship. You have shipmate number one, your imagination. Oh, I don't know if it's a good time to go to England. I'm not sure. I hear there's bad weather coming. Oh, oh, then comes shipmate number two, your emotions as well. You know, I haven't been feeling good. I've been feeling a little something. I don't feel like this is, I, I just don't know. I want to go home to mama. And then comes shipmate number three. The whale says, yeah, 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 I know what the captain says. I know what the owner of the boat says. But, you know, I just, I just don't want to do it. 
I just didn't want to do it. Well, that gives you a license. What's going to happen to that ship is going to go in a circle in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. The shipmate number one says, I want to go to South America. It's warm there. So we get the ship going that way. And shipmate number two says, I have friends in Alaska. So he turns it this way. And then shipmate number three says, I want to go back to Halifax. You know, you're going to go around and around and around. I hope I'm not describing you. <laughs> Own your soul. Own it. You say, well, I feel so rejected. Own it. And say, that's not for me to feel like that because I have Christ living in me. I'm accepted in the beloved. I own it. I own these feelings are not right. I own them. I feel so unworthy. Own it. I've been prayed for 59 times for feeling unworthy. Well, obviously the prayer for you isn't working. So don't come for the 60th prayer session thinking that the 60th person to pray for you is going to have some magic in his fingernails. Uh, no, no, no. Own it. Say, I, it's not, that's not, I, I don't accept it. I am the beloved. I am the beloved of God. He has made me worthy because I am his. I belong to him, so I reject this decision. Own it. Are you happy? Yes. Let me give you more. Own your mistakes. If there's anything we learn from the Psalms of David, I mean, he goes over and over and over, and he talks about, Lord, I was in despair. I did this. I doubted. I was in fear, but you helped me. You know, your scars can become your stars. I said your scars can become your stars. Yeah, but it's so bad. Own your failures. What's the big deal if you failed? You're still the beloved of God. He'll give you second, third, and fourth, and fifth chance. He hasn't given up on you. Amen. Yeah, but it's so bad. Have you ever read the Bible? How bad it can get for people? If you ever think your life is a mess, think of Brother Gideon. Not him, but the one in the Bible. He's one of the heroes of faith in the book of Hebrews. I mean, he's up there. He had 41 sons, and the 41st son murdered all the other 40. Oh, you say, is that in the Bible? Well, where do you think I got it from? <laughs> Many people don't read. I mean, what, you think you're in a mess? You know, next time you think that, oh, man, I'm in a mess, think about Gideon. This is after he has delivered people. My last son. The 41st, he murdered the other 40. And that's something. And what's even worse, the Bible mentions it. If the Bible was the kind of sanitized book some people think it should be, we would cut that part out. And they said, oh, he just waltzed into glory. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, with all this knowledge, he is still in Hebrews 11 as a hero of faith. I mean, own it. Own your money. You say, well, I don't have much. Well, if you own what you have, you'll get more. It, it, Jesus said, Luke 16, 1, the manager was squandering his possession. Own it. Well, 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 you, know, you know, money means so many different things. For some people, it's just love of money, which is a root of evil. They just love it for, for itself. I don't know, you can't really eat it, but, but you know. I don't know, somewhat money because it removes fear. Or it could be to satisfy greed or to, for comfort. And all those things, especially comfort and all that, that that's, we need that. But you see, make friends with money, Jesus said. Make friends, use money, excuse me, say use money to make friends for eternity. That's what we are doing. We are using money to make friends for eternity. Hallelujah. That means putting it into the gospel. Own your church. You know, we, I got to talk to you for a moment. I'm looking at the clock here. This is dangerous. You know, we are under attack as a church. A report came out last month. Do you know that since 
there was the lockdown, and everybody's like, oh, we'll watch online. Oh, the most uh, prestigious research institute in the country concerning religious affairs, the Barna Institute, tell us that only 30% of people, about 32, 33%, who went to church pretty well every Sunday are watching that same church online. Many of them don't at all because it's so easy to give in to fear. Can I tell you a secret? Do you know I can't? I'm a straight shooter. Do you, do you believe that? You, you know, some churches, they don't open up. They're not planning to open up the whole year. And you know who's behind that? This is going to shock you. It's the pastors. Every pastor that I've talked to, and I understand them, have told me, they said, oh, I so much enjoyed those three months when we didn't go to church on Sunday. So I'm happy with the happiest people in the world are pastors. Please don't laugh at you, poor pastor. It's not me, because I, I, I got, we got back there, Pastor Nathan got back there first. It's not Pastor Nathan, it's not us. But I always, Pastor, how do you feel? Oh, they said, it was so nice to not have to go to church. You got to think if a guy's been a pastor for 40, 50 years, and for, for every Sunday of the year, he gets up and everybody is sleeping in all the neighborhood, nobody's even out, and here is he in his suit and maybe a Bible in hand. You know, I mean, normal church members, at least they can skip a Sunday now and then. They can have the sniffles and say, I don't feel so good. But the, so I've discovered in the States, Canada, I talked to pastors, they said, Oh, I don't know if I want to go back. I understand it. We got uh, wage subsidies. We got people giving money. You know, because sometimes people give more, they feel a little guilty. Some give, don't give at all. You need to change that. But, but, but some give more, you know. And, and so, so we decided. We decided that's damaging. We said, oh, they'll come back eventually. Oh, don't be so sure. You know, it takes six weeks to create a good habit. It takes three weeks to break it. So we decided, no, we believe in the assembling of ourselves together. We want as many of you to come here as possibly dare to come. I mean, if, if you're not afraid to go to Walmart, come here, because we are better at it than Walmart. We, 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 you know, we, we, we separate you more. And, and, and if, you, if you feel free to go to, to Canadian Tire or to Hardware Store, come here first. Now, if you are so scared you can't come, then don't come. It's good. Assemble with us online. And those around the world, you say, I don't have a nice church. They don't talk to me like in my church, like you're talking. I will, you, glad you're with, you're important. You're with us. And so we decided we, we're not going to surrender. Why do you think Pastor Nathan, and Megan did it again today. She gets up to make announcements, and here's little Mia on her arm. Do you think that there's nobody in the whole world that could hold Mia? No, you know why? I haven't asked her, but I'm pretty sure. Probably an idea from Nathan says, bring me with you up there because it sends a message to everybody at home. We bring our kids even. That's what we're saying. Last Sunday, Pastor Nathan brought Leo, his son, up here to sing a song. Leo didn't sing at all. I knew what he was doing. He was sending a message. In other words, now if you're, if you're scared about it, then follow your conviction. But I'm saying to you, if you can go to, you know, people go all kinds of places. With people who are less healthy than us? Where's my mask? Oh, I'm taking it. Some of you in the world say, why are you all masked? Because our mayor said we had to be. Uh, some of you are nice people. We're not against picking a fight, but we only pick the necessary ones. So look here. I got it right here. Look at this. Uh, this is an expensive mask. I wanted it to be unique and be my own. But I tell you something. We, I'm trying to make it a little happy for you hearing this, but the truth is this. The truth is this, where are we going to stand on this? And I say to us as a church, are we going to be a lead? We actually turn into other churches in this city because we're doing so good. I check with other pastors. You know, our church is really doing good. I look at the crowd that's here right now. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, from, from the numbers I hear from pastor friends in the States and Canada, we, we're doing good. So thank you, TICC family who come. And if you're not coming, hey, we respect that. You say, I want to wait. We respect that. Whatever time you need. But I'm saying, I thank God for the people who, who, who say, you know what? I'm going to be there. There's got to be somebody there so we can have church. Amen. Even Dr. Betty comes from her cottage up in the hinterlands and, and, and uh, pilgrims down here every, every Sunday. 
come on, give her a big hand. She's a, she's a senior. She's a senior citizen. And she comes from the hinterlands of the northern parts where there's only bears and wolves and skunks living up there. But she leaves them to come here to, to be in the assembly. Come on now. But I'm saying, now I'm trying to make it nice. I'm trying to make this preaching part nice. But what I am saying is this. I'm sending a little warning signal. We are inviting other churches who don't have online. Say, you can come and use our facility. Maybe some of them are. We should come for free. You know, we're not going to, you can clean up, but that's it. Because we want to help the church. Because I can see that the church is so timid. It's like, oh, I can, I can go to, I can go to this place and I can go to that place. But, oh, I can't go to church. There, there are basculiscius germicides in there. No, no. You, you know. So, yeah, I understand, pastors. You don't, I've been going to church my whole life. Sometimes I've been 200 times a year in church. Oh, I could feel, it's nice to sleep in. And then we learned we could record the service like everybody else does on a Friday, but you think we were still live. Now we are really live. That's why the production is not quite as good as it was when we were just recording it in advance because we had everything perfect. But, but, but are you with me? I can totally understand that. But I, Pastor Nathan and I talked about it. He says, no, no, no. There's a battle. People think, oh, this will be over. Everything will be normal. No, my friend. But I say this. Whether it's the old normal or the new normal, we own it. And if there's a new normal, we own it. And we're going to lead and we're going to gather together. And we are a prophetic assembly. We come into agreement. There's healing. There's life. There's power. Own it. Hallelujah. Okay, I better finish. Own your world. I don't have time to talk about that. Final point. Own your covenant benefits. My joy I give to you. So you own it. My peace I give. I'm having a good time talking with you. You're pulling it out of me. I hope you feel it at home. So, so right, I have not some nice points on this point, but let me just sing a song for you. I found a new way of living. I found a new life divine. I have the fruit of the Spirit. Notice I have it. I'm abiding, abiding in the vine. Wait, the best part is coming. Abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine. Here it is. Love, joy, health, peace. He has made them mine. But hang on. I have prosperity, power, and victory. Not, I'm going to get it. I'm hoping for it. I have it abiding in the vine. So anything I've said here is not, is not in any way in contrast to resting in Christ. The whole premise for this, we rest in Christ, abide in Him. We see ourselves as owners. I have it.